well, folks. It's Jerry Adams here again, and I hope everybody's keeping safe and enjoying the jazz, Tasha jazz che, and it's uh, absolutely wonderful and it's great football in Hurling. So all is well and gold medals coming our way. Now, and the twelfth is over. And you know what it it I think to a degree uh, brings into focus is the contradiction of particularly the UP and the UP of its day. The contradiction of wanting to be in power while dodging the responsibility of sharing power with others on the basis of equality and respect. And that has been a constant challenge for the DUP since Ian Paisley crossed his own little Rubicon. Well, it was a very significant Rubicon in fairness to him. In his terms and from his perspective, in 2007, and went into office with Martin McGuinness. And the reality is that there are some unionists, now it's hard to know how many, but there are some unionists who believe it's 1921 and not 2021. The principle of equality and respect for everyone, of respect for the human and civil rights of nationalists and Republican citizens and of women, continues to be beyond them. By the way, if you hear a buzzing in the background, it's a a huge queen bee. And if you hear barking, that's the dog. Progressive change in the DUP world is perceived, no matter how small it is, and interpreted as concessions, as a case of you win, we lose. And sadly, many unions, political representatives, play to this fear, especially in speaking to and for, purporting to speak for, the loyalist working class. Politicians who share little in common with loyalist working class communities on social and economic issues and who rarely represent these interests exploit this fear for electoral purposes. And this tactic is again on show as the DUP, the UUP, the TUV and others prepare for next year's assembly election. It's especially true for the DUP, which is also identified with the disastrous RHI scandal and Brexit, including the creation of the Protocol. And despite successive leaders, and there have been a succession of leaders recently, despite their efforts to blame everyone else for this crisis, everybody knows that the DUP campaigned for Brexit. They may have campaigned for Brexit Brexit also, or Brexfast. (laughs) Anyway, they had a deal with Theresa May, and that kept her on power, and she negotiated Brexit, and then they supported Johnson as he negotiated the protocol. And for all their public outrage over the protocol, their fingerprints are all over it. And many unionists know this. So last week, in the run-in to the 12th, the three unionist leaders were happy to be photographed defending the Tigers Bay bonfire in Belfast, while doing nothing to address the enormous poverty, disadvantage and drug problems that are the curse of people living in that area. 
nationalist concerns at the sighting of a bonfire at an interface and of the antisocial attacks on the neighbouring New Lodge Road, community was dismissed. The union's leaders involved raised the spectre of instability and the potential for violence if they don't get the concessions they're demanding. And Jeffrey Donaldson has warned unionists that the balance or the future of Northern Ireland is in the balance and that they must win next year's assembly election. He's made the introduction of Irish language legislation conditional in getting rid of the protocol. Geoffrey told one journal last week, if the UK government moves on other elements of the new decade, new approach, but fails to move on the most fundamental of issues, and that is Northern Ireland's place within the United Kingdom, and its ability to trade with the rest of the United Kingdom, then that will be deeply destabilising for the political institutions. So there you are now. Over the 12th, thankfully, there was no some provocative events and one young man unfortunately very seriously injured when he, he was burned at a, bo- a bone fire. But thankfully, the 11th night events and the 12th were generally peaceful. Provocative, yes. Uh, so... Let's hope that that's done and dusted for another year. I remember saying to Arlene Foster one time, what sort of a place is it we're living in that some people hate it when the summer comes around? There were a marked increase in call-outs attended by the fire services this year and bone fires appeared to be larger than previously. And when I was young or younger, Orange bonfires were smaller affairs. I remember when I was a curate in the Ark Bar on the Old Lodge Road. One eleventh night I walked home from there to the Murph, the length of the Shankill Road and along the West Circular Road. And there were bonfires all along my route, usually at street corners. But they were modest affairs, with locals mindful not to jeopardise the safety of their small terraced houses. Incidentally, Bonefires were lit on the eve of the Battle of the Boyne to guide King Billy on his way to that Dorafil victory, or so we're told, or to celebrate his victory afterwards. And like the ones on the Shangle in my youth, I'm sure they were not the massive contraptions we see nowadays. Nor were they festooned with Irish flags, effigies of political figures, including this columnist, or election and other posters nor did they contain tyres. A few years ago, Belfast City Council seized 1,800 tyres from one bonfire and saved us all from the awful toxic fumes of burning rubber. And what of global warming? Tens of thousands of burning wooden pallets do little to protect the environment. So, what to do about all of this? First of all, those who argue that orange bonfires are expressions of culture have a duty to remove all offensive elements from them. Burning flags or images of people are hate crimes. That is not culture and it's not acceptable. And Jeffrey should make that clear. Secondly, and I know there are more serious problems facing us, bonfires should be regulated. They should not be built in places where they are, are unwelcome. 
and it should be possible to build eco-friendly bonfires safely on sites designated for that purpose. I understand some loyalist communities already do this. Smaller beacons built on a bed of sand to avoid damage to road services and consisting of carbon-neutral willow wood piled into pyramid-shaped steel structures are now available for those who want an environmentally friendly and neighbourly 11th night. And finally, as the debate on the unity referendum and United Ireland mainstreams, there have been some positive and welcome interventions. Recently, for example, Tanishta Leo Varadkar acknowledged that a United Ireland could happen in his lifetime. Invariably, these contributions become the target of a torrent of criticism and condemnation. British ministers, including the current Secretary of State from Britain, Brandon Lewis, are quick to react. He described Baradkar's remarks as unhelpful and ill-advised, and he then proceeded to lecture us on all the so-called benefits of the British Union. Lewis and the Unionist leaders believe that they have the right to talk about the Union with Britain until the cows come home. Should anyone else dare to suggest that a united Ireland carries equally equal legitimacy, they are told, be cooing, shut up. In the words of political unionism and the British Tory nationalism, the precious union is supreme. So all of us need to be mindful of the opinions of others and be sensitive to their concerns. But all of us have the right to put our opinion. We don't need permission from anyone. Unionists and the Brits don't have to concern themselves about our opinions or their sensitivities or how far their refusal to honour past agreements breaches the terms of the Good Friday Agreement, the St Andrews Agreement or any of the other agreements made in recent years. We've seen this week another development on the issue of legacy of the Brits simply doing what the Brits want to do. So we just carry on carrying on, being resolute, being persistent, hopefully being intelligent and being coherent in what we want to say and what we want to do. But to be clear, no one needs permission to raise, write about, discuss or advocate for United Ireland. Those who want to advocate for the Union are entitled to do so. That is their right. The unity referendum provision, the Good Friday Agreement, provides a peaceful and democratic pathway to a united Ireland. It's part of an international treaty. It's part of the process of change that's been ongoing for years and that will continue in the time ahead. The conversation on the unity referendum and the constitutional future of the island of Ireland is well underway. Join it. And for all the people who climbed up summits, including some who climbed small hills and pretended they were very high hills, to focus attention on the issue of unity, well done. Saturday and today, Sunday, have seen a whole epidemic of 
Republicans and United Irelanders with their flags and their banners reaching for the heights, reaching for the sky. So stay safe in the warm weather. Enjoy yourselves. Amor, Arav, Slan, 